From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief with this week's Eagle's Eye View, your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. This is the 100th episode of Eagle's Eye View, and I'm delighted to bring it to you on June 24th, 2019. I've chosen a couple of, I think, interesting articles that are relevant to practice And then at the end of this podcast, I'm going to just mention some of the tools that the ACC is developing for our learners that I think you'll be interested in. So let's get started. Two articles today. One is on uh, digoxin mortality, looking at the results of the DIG trial. And the other is looking at the use of mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists and both hospitalization rates and all-cause mortality in a large database from Japan. So let's start with this first article, which looked at digoxin-related mortality comparing randomized versus observational comparisons in the DIG trial. And the question really was whether statistical adjustment for baseline covariates in observational analysis could help us understand the relationship between digitalis administration and mortality and admissions in patients with heart failure. Obviously, digoxin, foxglove, is one of the oldest cardiovascular medications that we have. I think the oldest, I was told, is willow bark, which is aspirin. But digitalis has been around for nearly 300 years. This is a study looking at the DIG trial. And interestingly, that randomized trial, 6,800 patients in all, 44% of them had been on digoxin before, and in half... It was randomly withdrawn during the trial. So the authors were really interested in looking at the randomization-based results of the DIG trial versus the observational data that included knowledge of whether or not they had been on digoxin before. And this is very interesting. The mortality hazard ratio for heart failure hospitalizations was uh, 1.22, and this was significantly higher in patients who had been treated in the past with digoxin, whether or not they got assigned digoxin or placebo. The higher risks occurred even in the placebo group. And so what the authors postulated is that the prescription of digoxin in that trial was an indicator of disease severity and worse prognosis. And it couldn't be completely explained by risk adjustment. That is, if they'd received DIG before, but then in the trial got withdrawn and put on placebo, they still had a higher risk. This does suggest the challenges that we have using observational studies. A number of studies have suggested that digitalis had deleterious effects on heart failure outcomes and atrial fibrillation. And of course, the DIG trial was the largest ever randomized trial of digoxin in heart failure. And there was a neutral effect on mortality and there appeared to be a reduction in heart failure hospitalizations when patients were placed on digoxin. But then if you think about the fact that 44% of the patients in that trial had been on DIG before and half of them had withdrawn, it creates all kinds of questions about exactly what is the role of digoxin and how much of the apparent deleterious effects that we've seen in some of these studies simply indicates that we aren't absolutely able to adjust for covariates. Certainly, this study, I think, reminds us that we can't use observational studies to reliably feel comfortable with medication-related outcomes. We can create hypotheses when we see observational trends and associations. 
but we really need complete randomization in order to be sure. And this particular study also asked the question, well, wait a minute, when you randomize, if you're actually taking people off a medication that you then pick, whether they stay on it or go on placebo, that can affect the outcomes. So this is a fascinating article. It's in the European Heart Journal this week, and I really recommend that you read it. The second paper I want to talk about is also one looking at the use of registry science to inform practice, and it's the Association of Mineralocorticoid Use and Mortality and Readmission for Heart Failure in Japan, and this is a study of uh, 19 secondary and tertiary hospitals in Japan from October of 2014 to March of 2016, looking at whether or not the prescription of an MRA agent at the time of discharge was associated with better or worse outcomes. So the study included 3,700 patients. About 1,700 had received an MRA at discharge and about 2,000 did not. And they did propensity score matching to compare patients who got the drug versus patients who did not get the drug. And they found the cumulative one-year incidence of a primary outcome, which was cardiovascular death or rehospitalization, was actually lower in the MRA use group, 28% versus about 34%. Of the components of the primary outcome, the cumulative one-year incidence of heart failure hospitalization was lower in the MRA group, and that was about 19% versus 25%, so a risk reduction in the range of 30%. And there was no effect on mortality at all. There was no difference in all-cause hospitalization between the two groups. And interesting, when they subdivided their patients and looked at which group seemed to get the most benefit from the mineralocorticoid antagonists, it was actually patients with HEF-PEF, that is an ejection fraction greater than 40%. So the authors concluded observationally that the use of an MRA antagonist at discharge did not lower mortality, but did appear to lower heart failure readmission rate and that the use of this agent at discharge, thankfully, was not associated with dangerous complications that sometimes we've seen with hyperkalemia. And it is interesting that the HEF-PEF group appeared to get the most benefit. And this may call to mind you know, some of the studies like TopCat, which did suggest that we're such in need of evidence-based therapies in this particular phenotype, HEF-PEF, and it looks like the mineralocorticoid class of drugs may well be something that we can use, at least in a subgroup of those patients. So two articles looking at observational analyses and effects of potentially cardiovascular drug therapies. I think they're both really interesting and certainly can cause us to think differently about how we interpret clinical studies. The last uh, few minutes of this podcast, I just want to mention to you some really exciting activity of the ACC.org, which hopefully will be useful to the learners who tune into my podcast every week. First, ACC.org has a guideline hub for most of the recent guidelines, and you can find every resource for those guidelines in one place. So if you go to the guidelines link on the home page, you'll see a list of all of those hubs. Also, if you're looking for free certified and non-certified education, the ACC.org online learning catalog is the place where you'll find that. You can filter by the type of credit you want, by topic, or by format. So this online learning catalog can be very useful, and you can find it on the Education and Meetings tab. Also, I want to mention the ACC Member Hub. 
This is ACC's new online community for members where you can connect with colleagues, join groups of members who have similar interests to yours, or contribute to discussions, and forge mentor-mentee partnerships. The college is very interested in making this relevant to you. Watch the intro video on this on the acc.org homepage or click on the link to join a member hub that you're interested in. Also, at ACC in Touch is where all the news from the college is coming out. There's also Twitter chats and interactive quizzes. When there's an FDA issue, we post that on ACC in Touch. So please look for that as well. Finally, in addition to Eagle's Eye View, the ACC offers other podcasts. ACC.org has Axel Light, which features two interviews a month from uh, ACC's Axel Audio Learning Library. We also have CardiaCast. That features clinical education on a whole range of topics. And Practice Made Perfect, which really looks at non-clinical competencies, skills, and best practices for clinicians and their practices. You can find all of these on the latest in cardiology tab on the homepage or search in your podcast app. So 100 episodes of Eagle's Eye View, two years we've been doing this. I've enjoyed it immensely. I hope the format works for you. If you have suggestions, don't hesitate to uh, let me know. I'm anxious to get feedback so that we can continue to evolve the educational material to meet your needs. So I hope you have a great week, and thank you for tuning in to Eagle's Eye View, the 100th episode.